Have you ever had a moment where you felt like the church hurt you and maybe you can't keep going? Today's podcast is just for you. I cannot wait for you to hear the story of Nick Kofall and how he's used his church hurt to help propel churches all over the country to be their absolute best. Welcome to the Blue Collar Creative. I'm your host, Steve Brewster. So excited to have you with us today. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you guys for sharing this with your communities. It is so fun to watch this little podcast grow and see how it's because of you guys that people are connecting to the stories that we tell, the inspiration that we give to creative and leaders to be their absolute best. Today is one of those stories. My friend Nick Kofall is going to talk about the rise and fall of his ministry career and then how God used that to redeem him and how he is now helping churches all over the country do their absolute best work. I don't want to wait any longer. Check out this story with my friend, Nick Kofal. Nick, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you today. Awesome, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I think this is the longest we've gone without seeing each other in person in the last, like, probably five years. I know, and I really don't like it. (laughs) It's been over a year. Like, what I love about about our relationship is it's a lot of text messages, but it's also frequent random cities at Top Golf. Yeah. And and so yeah. um there's something about it's maybe one we of my, should be sponsored by them or something. <laughs> there's no question. Every time I see a, a Top Golf, I think about you and the crew over at Summit and and just I love I love you guys and I love what you do. I love the approach that you take to to your business, which Appreciate for those that. who don't know, uh Summit integrations does an amazing job helping churches think beyond just audio video and installation they think about ministry and how is this going to impact the ministry and how does it affect the ministry and so i love what you and your team do but today we're not going to talk as much about that we'll probably dabble on that a little bit so today i want to learn a little bit more about the man i want to talk about uh you and your journey you've been on a journey it's been an interesting journey and so your parents were in ministry. Mm-hmm. Your dad was was a pastor and a musician. Yep. What was it like for you growing up in ministry? Man, it was different. Um, I think there was, uh, we were always in church, man. It was like we literally, uh, I can remember being there so many times during the week uh, and through services, man, that you literally were sleeping under pews when you were a kid or sleeping on pews, you know, oh, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and uh, But yet at the same time, I have so many fond memories uh, because I had so many friends and so many connections at church that was just, that was family for us. And so uh, I, I really did grow up in the sanctuary of Grandview Assembly of God in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, that was really kind of the thing. And uh, my dad was a college and young adults pastor at the time and just had this rad uh, group of uh, college students that was just kind of a, a ministry that exploded. Uh, and uh, it was really cool to be a part of. But, you know, also as my dad is a musician, my dad was before he really got into full-time ministry to the degree that he did, he was traveling all over the country playing guitar for, you know, a bunch of crazy people um, and having band rehearsals super late at night. And uh, one of my most favorite things to do, it's funny, I know it's not that great being a guitar player's son that I was fascinated by drums. Uh, so it was cool what he was <laughs> doing, but I was really like focused on what, what, uh, Carl was doing was the uh, Carl Albrecht was the guy who was the drummer who was on all sorts of Hosanna integrity and all kinds of crazy, you know, uh, early worship records way back in the day. And 
man, I would go and lay in front of the kick drum uh, as a little kid and just listen and watch. And just I was absorbing every single thing that I could. And so I think from my earliest years, music um, has always played a huge part in my life. And worship specifically has always played uh, a massive part of just kind of a role in my life when it comes to my journey of faith and just who I am as an individual. So tell me about that a little bit. What does it mean for worship to have that kind of influence in your life? Is it is it the song? Is it the presence? Is there a specific style of worship that you go to that really connects with you? Tell me about that. Man, I think I've I have run the gamut though um, over the years. I mean, styles always change and shift and evolve. Um, I think uh, I can remember, man, even when I was a hellion in high school, um, you know, going out Friday night, Saturday night, doing stupid things that I probably never should have been doing. Um, man, I always made it to church on Sunday and it didn't matter if we were singing shout to the Lord or if we were singing as the deer uh, pants for the water, bro. I was I was at the altar. Uh, it was just one of those things that there was always this place where worship connects something in my soul um, and I feel the presence of God and ultimately everything is made right in the presence of God. And so for me, man, I would I would constantly find myself there uh, trying to find moments where I could uh, hang out and be with Jesus. And so early on, you know, those were the records that I was, uh, you know, opened up to or exposed to, I guess. But then when I got into college, man, I, I was really into uh, some crazy hippie jam band stuff that was uh, along the vein of Enter the Worship Circle and 100 Portraits and Waterdeep and kind of these different alternative kind of worship vibes. But still the heart and the spirit and the mentality behind all of it was trying to create something artistically that could help open a doorway for you to experience the presence and the power of who Jesus is. And so that was something that's always drawn me in. And then ultimately, even when I started playing music, man, that was um, that was the vein that I went to. That was what I started to kind of uh, connect to. And man, we played in coffee shops and did all kinds of wild things and played tours and festivals and stuff. But for me, the thing I really wanted to do was play worship. Like that was my jam. I love it. I love it. And you're a hip hop head. You love you like hip hop. I am. I am. I'm I'm kind of a freak uh, about that. And it, it's just uh, I think growing up in Kansas City, I was exposed to so much great music. I never really got into I got into a little bit of a grunge scene, too, for a hot minute. Um, but in reality, man, it was always hip hop. It was always Tribe Called Quest. It was always going back to, you know, Dr. Dre and, and you know, all of those kinds of great records and finding myself in this space of going, man, that. There's something about that music that moves my soul. It's an amazing feeling now, even as a dad, to hear uh, coming from my daughter's room or from my son's room, uh, some old, old hip hop. I feel like the most proud papa when I hear something like that. I feel like I've done it right. <laughs> These guys are doing I'm it. I'm a good parent. I'm a, I'm good a really parent. good parent. I, I mean, my parents hated this music, but I'm a good parent. <laughs> right. My, there was many a broken CD uh, or CD thrown into the trash when I was a kiddo, but uh yeah, now I, I've got all those records on vinyl, and uh, I love it. So it's super fun. So awesome. And and we won't go too deep into this because I've got better questions. But <laughs> I do think that it's interesting. If you look at consumption of teenagers and young adults today, the top two genres of Christian kids, 18 and under, are hip-hop and worship. Wow. And so 
someone's going to crack the code. I want to eventually. I wonder what that connection is. I think there's two things. Uh, maybe if I were if I were to speculate here, and I'm no you know psychologist, and I'm not some. Uh, I'm a fan of music, but I would say this. I think both of those genres of music move you um, in some mm-hmm. way, shape, or form, and. I think for me, it's one of those things that even when it comes to, uh, I, I'm a four on the Enneagram. Um, and so for me, when I feel my emotions riling up, um, whether that's good, bad, right, wrong, or indifferent, I'm connected to it now. And I think yep. that hip hop has something uh, to it. I, I can think about even listen to Kendrick Lamar's, that his style, his vibe to what he does. I think he's got a song called DNA that literally just, there's something about it. You can tell he's angry. You can tell he's moved. He's moved mm-hmm. by something, and he's troubled by something. And I, it connects in a way that's more than just, oh, that was a neat song. It was like, right, I, right. I just experienced greatness in front of me, and I just witnessed something that absolutely is moving. And uh, to be honest with you, I think uh, you know, I think worship has a lot of the same effects. I think there is something that it's speaking to that's drawing you into some place that's higher if it's doing its job correctly, um, or it's a song of lament um, that's connecting to a deeper place of brokenness within your own soul or within society, and it's pulling you forward. So I think that both of those make sense, because right now in the world that we live in, um, I think uh, people are starting to become more and more comfortable with learning how to feel um, and be okay with it. That's amazing. So you went from being a pastor's kid and growing up under the church bench, and then Became a missionary, yeah, and a unique missionary because not a missionary internationally, but a, a domestic missionary. Yeah, tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, that was cool, and it was a really fun failed experiment. Um, it was, <laughs> let's be a forming experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We learned some things, right? It's only failure if you fail to learn from it. Um, and so for me, it was one of those situations where I went to Bible college, graduated Bible college, was playing music for a hot minute, and. Uh, with some friends and and decided to go help some other buddies down in uh, at Oklahoma State University plant a church in the middle of the bar district. Um, we had nine bars within 150 feet of our front wow. door, and it was incredible. We started with 450 college kids. It was a college ministry that had kind of exploded and said, you know what, because of just where Stillwater was located and all that kind of stuff, it just made sense to start doing some gatherings on Sunday morning instead of just Thursday nights, because um, a lot of kids would stay there in Stillwater. And then all of a sudden you started having some families starting to come around and you started to have some some folks that were like, oh, hey, we actually might need a youth pastor and that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah, man, I was there for five and a half years. And it was crazy because when you send out newsletters to friends to raise support, because that's what you did back in the day um, before building websites right. and, you know, uh, all kinds of fun digital, you know, transaction payment methods. Now, um, I think we uh, we sent out newsletters and it's like, yeah, we we live in the U.S. We live in a small podunk town called Stillwater. And uh, this is what we're doing with our life. Please send us money. People went, you're doing what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're at a church you should have a job like they they should pay you and i'm like you're not going to the dominican republic no like like i'm not going to africa or mumbai or some crazy awesome place that you know it makes sense to raise support for but if you think about it college kids are broke um and there are four there were uh 15 of us that were full-time staff members uh, on this church and we were all support raising missionaries um and it was really interesting because i remember 
you know, when we first said yes, that we were going to go do this, my wife at the time was just my fiance. And she was like, you're crazy. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, I think we are. Um, And, uh, and ultimately, man, I think I had $250 worth of support raised, um, committed to this, this is what you're going to, this is what we knew was going to come in. Um, and I had just signed a lease for $425 for a, a, a really cool apartment uh, in Oklahoma. And I'm like, let's do the math here. This isn't really going to work out so well. <laughs> this could be, we could be in trouble. I had a small bit of money in the bank. And, uh, and man, we, I remember those couple of early years just laying hands on bills, man, and asking God to send us checks um, and to provide opportunity for us to make extra scratch so that we could, you know, make ends meet. And man, we learned so much in that season about uh, control um, and also uh, the faithfulness of God. Yes, it was a a crazy experiment. Yes, it was a a wild time. We learned a bunch of beautiful things. We met incredible people. Um, And we had a lot of painful memories from that that season as well. But being a missionary, uh, I mean, some of the biggest lessons I've learned about God uh, have come from just living on that hairy edge of crazy and faith all at the same time. And that's an edge that really started to form and help shape you. But I think we'd be remiss to pass over that season without talking about maybe a little bit of the complications of that season. Sure. That, that season of, of ministry for you was, was very forming. Mm-hmm. And um, I've heard you talk about how that season, just for the, for the sake of time, you, you went there, the, the ministry started to explode. Mm-hmm. The influence was tremendous. Yeah. People got, a little bit delusional, mm-hmm. a bunch, most of the team left. You mm-hmm. got left standing there holding kind of the responsibilities. Yeah. thought that you would be, be named the, the, the senior leader. Yeah. And then we're, we're passed over yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And when that happened, it puts you into a bit of a spiral. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? It's a great uh, summary of that. Myself and one other, myself and my wife and one other couple, we were we were the only ones left at one point. We were kind of trying to co-pastor this thing as best as we could. The church went from being exploding to doing worship conferences and traveling and playing in you know arenas and doing all kinds of crazy stuff to like seventy five people overnight. Like it went from massive to like what do we do now? Kind of moment. And we were just kind of trying to sort through the rubble um, of what was there and trying to formulate what was next. Um, and our hearts, truthfully, were trying to figure out how can we love this city even more than we already do? And how can we continue to kind of keep making an impact um, in this community? And man, I'll be honest, I think I was really young. I was fighting really hard to not become incredibly jaded. At times, I think I would succumb to those pressures and succumb to those particular you know, kind of feelings. And and man, I, I was voted in by the church. Um, the the community voted me in as the pastor. But the it was a the way the church was kind of set up. We were uh, connected to a denomination, and the denomination, the district that we were a part of, said no and appointed somebody over me. That was a really rough moment because I felt like I had been a part of building something that was beautiful at one point, but pride and arrogance and ego and all kinds of things kind of got in the way. And we were paying the price for that and seeing it kind of crumble in front of us. We had hopes for reimagining it and to maybe resurrecting this thing. But when that call was made, 
and I had to resign, there was something that shattered within my own soul. Um, and I think for me, it was one of these deals of, I was so hurt because I felt like I had fallen in love with these people. And I was so in love with what I felt like God had called us to do. And at the same time, man, now being able to look back, I can realize that I had so much identity and so much of who I was wrapped up in this particular kind of endeavor. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of going, okay, Lord, it's not me. Fine. Let me turn it over and let me release this. But I wasn't mature enough to be able to do that. I wasn't able to have enough clarity in that moment to do that. And, and in reality, man, it, it, it almost killed me. We, we sold our house. Um, I resigned from the, we also were running a coffee shop um, at the time that was connected to the ministry that was super rad and really successful. I resigned from that thing, resigned from all of it. We knew two couples out here in Colorado. We packed up a you know 26 foot moving truck and loaded up our car and moved. And truthfully, that was, that was those next couple of years were pretty dark. Um, that was one of those mm-hmm. seasons where I constantly would find myself in this place of going, man, like I'd ask a lot of questions. Why I'd ask a lot of questions of, uh, to the Lord of just going like, what in the puke am I supposed to do now? Like I have this crazy right. upbringing, this incredible pedigree. Like I have, I come from, I have all these things, right? Like of I'm a Bible college grad, I'm this, I'm that. And I'm like, and I'm here doing what in Colorado? Like, Lord help me, you know, and I had friends and family members that would call me up and go, bro, what about the call of God on your life? Or what about this? Or what about that? And I'm like, oh, cool. Thanks for just kicking me uh, even more <laughs> down. Like, thanks, like, thanks for scratching that scab. That yeah, was really as, awesome. As if I've got an answer for that. I don't, you know, and I just knew this though, like Job has always, the story of Job has always been like this really monumental kind of like, I've always known it meant something to me, even as a kid. And it just took me back, um, old, you know, I'm going to date myself here, but there's a, a worship leader named Kevin Prosh who has a chorus of one of his songs. And he just is taking a line from Job that says, though you slay me, yet will I trust. And I will trust you, Lord. And, and I constantly prayed that over and over and over again. And I said, God, I don't understand where I'm at right now. I don't see what I'm supposed to do right now. It doesn't seem clear to me, but I do know this. I will trust you. And as I started to kind of change the posture and the position of my heart, it was, it's been amazing to watch the doors kind of fling open. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's like after a really big, massive storm and it's super dark and cloudy and crazy outside and the world around you looks like, you know, everything's been destroyed. All of a sudden that little bit of burst of sunlight that comes through the clouds is like, one of the most joyous, one of the most like incredible yep. things to see. And that for me is kind of what started happening after about two, two and a half years of me being here in Colorado. Um, after I was just working random jobs and trying to figure out how to pay bills and, you know, wrestle with my own uh, insecurities and challenges and problems and all that stuff. And just trying to learn, man. Well, and in, in that learning, what, what was the biggest lesson for you? Like, as you emerged from that two and a half, three years, two years, whatever it was, what was the better version of you on the other side? Yeah, man, I think that's an incredibly good question. I think the biggest thing really comes down to identity and understanding that I'm not defined by what I do um, or what title is on my, you know, on my business card or on my email signature, you know, any of those types of things. But my identity is wrapped up in who God says that I am. I know that for years I was constantly seeking validation and affirmation from others 
older brothers in the faith or fathers in the faith, there was always just this thing in me that I felt like I needed to prove um, and to prove my worth or prove that I had a seat at the table. And in reality, man, when you go after proving, um, and if that is the mode and the method uh, of your heart and the energies of your life, you're going to find yourself in a place of burnout um, because you can't do enough to prove. Um, You can't do enough to earn your seat at the table. You can't, I mean, you can try. It's not sustainable though. And ultimately there was just this place of unrest in me that I always was trying to place that on others to kind of create a a way and a space for me instead of going, Father, who do do you say that I am? And really understanding who he is for, for my life. And what does that look like? And let's get down to the bare minimum, the bedrock kind of foundational place of just going, man, I need to understand who who I am in God and who is God to me. I think that's one, that's probably the most important lesson. The second would be is that I need to realize, and I, I've learned this a little bit more, is like, we all quest for control. We always want control. But the truth is, is that we don't control anything but our actions uh, (laughs) and our emotions and our responses to people. Um, And ultimately, there are going to be constantly uh, things thrown at you where you go, man, I don't understand that. Or why did that happen? Or what? We're out. That's not that's outside of our control. But when we can lean in and go, man, I can control what's going on in me. And what's going on in my own soul and what's going on in my own heart and allow that to be the thing that really informs how we, our actions and our activity, then man, I think there's really a lot of beauty that can come from that. But I also learned uh, the last lesson and, and I'm sorry for being verbose on this, but I'll say this, no, this is, is like, great. for years, man, I craved after platform. I wanted to fulfill these prophetic, you know, and, and, and I truly mean it that way. I was I've been called out of crowds for years, man. I I run in the charismatic circle and um, I've had all kinds of crazy prophetic words over my life. And on some level, I thought I was responsible to make those things happen. And so for me, there was so much pressure to become uh, what these words were saying about my life. And so for me, that made me quest after platform and the platform and speaking and traveling and having a name and being this and that. That was uh, a huge idol in my life. For me, man, I think that was far more important to me than actually the power and the presence of Almighty God and understanding who He is um, and who I am to Him. And so I think that that was a really big deal. And I, I remember sitting at my kitchen table and just having this moment with the Lord. And He says, the greatest message you will ever speak is sitting right here at this table with your family. Because you can speak to thousands out there, but if you don't love those that are close to you right here and show them the, the nuances of what it is to live by faith and to be encouraged by the life that they see in front of them, not so much taught, but caught. Like there's this yep. moment of like, I've got these two little kiddos that are not so little anymore. They're 17 and 15. Um, but these little kiddos were looking at dad going like, this dude's a mess, man. <laughs> like if they were to really like pull back and take the, uh, you know, magnifying glass and begin to look at my life and my life of faith, would they find one that would be honorable? Would they find one right. that is trusting? Would they find one that they could literally take those pages of my playbook with God and go, I'm going to live that out. And they could, they could have a successful life of faith. At that point in my life, I don't think that they could have. I think now I'm going, man, this is the most valuable thing I have is to sit here and look these kiddos in the face 
and to live a life honest and open before them so that they can see not only my ups with God, but my down, downs as well. Um, and all so of the good. messy middle in between. So good. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. I know I am. I love hearing Nick talk about what has happened in his life. And I can't wait for you to hear what happens next and how he's kind of processed through some of that. It means the world to me when you take a moment and share this podcast with your friends, when you share it on social media, when you like, subscribe. And if there's anything I can do to serve you or your team, or if you just want to ask a question, don't hesitate to shoot me a text. 615-492-2342. I look forward to hearing from you. Now back to our conversation. So coming out of that season of ministry, you felt lost. Identity was was shattered for the good eventually, but in the moment it didn't feel good. And I, I've I've heard you say this before, and and I want to talk about it because I think a lot of people who go through church hurt. Mm. I have a unique relationship with church hurt. I don't know that I believe that the church actually hurts people. Mm. I think people hurt people. Yeah. God's design of the church has never hurt anyone. Right. But we associate hurt with the institution when it's really hurt with the person. You went through a season where people hurt you in the name of the church. Yeah. And then you really found yourself, and I've heard you say this before, that you loved Jesus, but you didn't like his bride. Yeah. And then what's what the 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 dichotomy of that situation is you are one of the people who serve the church more than anyone that I know in my life. Yeah. And so how did you reconcile? Because to me that would be another moment where that scab's getting picked or that bruise is getting pushed. Every day you're going in and delivering these tools of hope yeah. for the thing that you feel like hurts you. Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest issue with that is that I was, that statement sounds really great. I would constantly say it to my wonderful, there's a whole bunch of cynical, uh, jaded Christians out there. And I was friends with, felt like all of them for a hot season. <laughs> and uh, the, the <laughs> truth be told is that I think you can find an audience almost anywhere, right? That that will validate um, your feelings and your emotions and your opinions. But I had one friend um, who called me out and I just used to say to him, I said, bro, I love Jesus, but I can't stand his bride. I, I was saying that in such a place where I was just feeling like, you know, I, I felt so validated in what I was saying. You know, I felt like it was such a, oh yeah, that makes total sense. The truth is, is I was excusing myself from the equation as the bride. Right. right. And right. as I started to realize, like, it's really easy to sit in the victim mindset, right? This happened to me. This is all about me. Or man, these people did this or did that. And the truth is, is that I played a part in that. I played a role and I was just as much responsible of, for what went down as everybody else was. And the bride is broken. The bride is flawed. The bride is, is a mess. But if I continually stand on the outside pointing at the bride going, I'm not that, then that makes no sense. Because if I love Jesus, I'm a part of his bride. And so ultimately, my buddy said to me, hey, man, if, if you constantly came over to my house for dinner, and you and I would sit around, we'd, we'd have some great food and, you know, share some time together. But you constantly told me how much you hated my wife who cooked the meal for you. Um, he goes, how weird <laughs> would that be? And I was like, okay, yeah, that, that analogy kind of falls down, doesn't it? <laughs> like, it, it definitely, <laughs> this isn't working anymore. Yeah, that, that dog ain't going to hunt, as my grandfather would say. And so ultimately, man, I, I feel like for me, I started finding myself in this place going, dude, Yes, the 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 bride is all of these things, um, and I'm just as much a part of it as anybody else. But the only way that we can bring about change is to stay in it and to continue to fight. 
instead of just throwing up my hands and finding myself outside the circle. Um, because truthfully, man, it would be so much easier to just walk away um, and to be like, man, I'm out. I'm going to go do this other parachurch organization kind of a thing down here, or I'm going to, you know, just settle for, you know, having a couple of small friends that I talk about Jesus with, small groups of friends that I talk about Jesus with. But outside of that, man, I'm done. And so for me, I just had this thing rile up within me that says, if you want to bring about change, the only way that you can do that is to uh, plunge back into the fight. And so instead of running away, I ran towards it um, just because I think that's the tenacity in the way in which God has kind of wired my brain is to go, oh, you you told me I can't do that. Let me run in. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> but now I have a little bit more fuel to that fire. And I feel like God's given me an opportunity to say, man, I yes, we work with audio, video, and lighting system, which with some of the coolest, most rad churches across the country. Um, but for me, it's really about going, if I can have one conversation to inspire, to build up, and to encourage, and to help champion the fight of somebody else that's within leadership in that organization, I can make a difference one conversation at a time. And ultimately, um, I feel like that's kind of the hope that I live with every single day is how can I continually mm -hmm. help the body of Christ evolve to reach the community around them in a more dynamic and interesting way? And how can I continue to just keep stoking and fanning the flames of leadership uh, for people who are in that fight day in, day out? Because I share their pain and I share yep. a lot of their same frustrations. And I just want to look them square in the eye and go, man, I see you. Um, because right. that's probably one of the most important things that we can do um, is to hold those people up. Um, and to come alongside of them as a support and as uh, someone who can maybe help champion them forward. Uh, because when they do that, man, they reach people in their community in an amazing way. They stay in leadership instead of burning out and fizzling out. Um, and more people come to know Jesus when uh, when leaders are healthy and when churches are doing really cool things. And so for me, I go, man, everybody wins um, in that regard. And I love that you get to pastor pastors. Yeah. Like that's a, that's, I mean, in essence, that's what, what's happened is now yeah. you've shifted from ministering to, to the congregation, to ministering to the leadership. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's a really interesting thing. I mean, if you, if you really turn around and ask a lot of leaders, man, who's your pastor right now? Um, there's not a lot of folks that'll answer that question really honestly and openly. And I think that they've got friends, they've got advisors, they've got people that will, will say certain things to them, but man, in, in large, large in part, I would say there's, there's some of that that's missing. And so for me, I see a void where leaders are tired. They're burned out. They're frustrated, especially in this pandemic season, man, they have scrambled like crazy. Their nerves and their, oh, gosh. their adrenal systems are just shot because <laughs> it's like, man, we've, we've pivoted 18,000 different ways. And it's like, man, if I can provide one moment of encouragement and hope for them, to just go, man, I see you and I see what you're doing and it's incredible. Um, and I'm proud of you. And I'm thankful for the work that you're putting your hands to. Been a lot of really cool conversations that have come from that. Um, but man, I, we have so many leaders in the body of Christ that start out well, um, myself included, with a lot of fire, a lot of gusto. But when it comes to finishing well, that's a whole nother conversation. And that's something that keeps me up at night is trying to figure out how can I help leaders finish well because it's so good that's uh that's what our world needs to see yeah no question and you know anytime you see longevity in ministry it's it's so rare in these seasons that they were even able to see 
what longevity looks like. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I totally agree. That toughest day that you had, the clouds were not clearing yet. Yeah. It was dark. Mm-hmm. It was dark. And, and, and you, you had these, these callings on your life. You had these moments. You didn't feel like in the moment you couldn't see how you were, were fulfilling those, those words of your life or that the purpose and potential of your life. Yeah. Tell me about the worst day and then how you got up. I can tell you about this moment, man, Brewster, you're gonna make me cry. Uh, <laughs> because I'm sitting in it right now. I just, I, as you said that I, I remember two things. There were, there were two moments that kind of go hand in hand. One was I was asked to uh, resign from my position I was coming back from a worship conference um, that I was playing out in Colorado. I was playing drums at, and uh, I was coming back. And the next day I had to, um, they asked me to resign in front of the congregation. And I remember instead of doing some sort of typical message and this, that, and the other, I wrote a love letter. It was just me bearing my soul for what, how I felt and sharing my heart. And I remember this moment. I, I don't fully remember what I said, but um, I probably could dig it out somewhere if I go through some old files. But I remember the moment that I clicked the microphone off and I heard it pop in the speaker system. And I remember the sound of it hitting the metal music stand in front of me. And dude, there was something literally that that's the sound of breaking for me. Mm-hmm. And I doubled over and just lost it. And I remember in that moment just going, God, I love people so much. And I had fallen in love um, with that crew of people um, and what we had given our life to. That was a real tearing, so to speak, in my own soul. And I remember the day that also kind of goes right along with that was uh, when we were dry. There's this long kind of stretch of road that connects Stillwater out to the highway um, as we're starting to either, you're either going to go to Oklahoma city or you're going to go to Wichita. Um, we were headed towards Wichita to start making our way across boring Kansas to get to Colorado. <laughs> and I remember driving in the truck. And at the time I was listening to, uh, I, I was very much, and I still am into, into folk music at the time and kind of singer songwriter stuff. And there was a song by a guy, a band, uh, he's just one guy, uh, iron and wine. And the chorus was, please remember me. And I heard that chorus. I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just listening. And I was, mm-hmm. I began weeping so much that I had to pull the car over uh, or the truck over on the side of that stretch of road. And I just was at this point of like, God, what are we doing? Like, what, what, I don't even know. I don't even understand where we're going right now. But I knew I was going to Colorado and I knew it was a fresh start and that I was to trust him. I mean, And I just continually clung to this place of understanding even Abraham. He didn't know where he was going, but his movement was accounted to him as faith, right? His his Mm -hmm. steps forward were accounted to him as faith. And I think that for me, I just knew, I don't know what six months from now holds. I don't know what two weeks from now holds, but I know that I'm going to get to Colorado and God and I are going to figure it out. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to try my best to cling to him as much as humanly possible and to hear his voice. And that to me was, was a really big deal. And I remember waking up the next day when we finally did get to Colorado and just going, I don't fully know what we're doing, but God, I trust you. And it was hard because my son was turning one at the time. I'm looking at my wife going, babe, I, 
I literally took us on the wildest journey over the last five and a half years, even when you told us it was stupid and we should have raised more money before we went down there <laughs> um, and you were unsure. And here we are in a place of like, we don't have a lot. We don't, we don't have a lot to go on here, but just trust um, and love and confidence that God will not leave us hanging. It may not be great. Uh, we might be on food stamps. We might be, I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen, but we still have each other and we still have God. And so from there, what are we going to do? The last 14 years has been building every single day on that foundation. And it's been a really crazy, crazy ride. And it's been fun. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I love, I love the, it's, it's so poetic that the music actually created the soundtrack for the moment and you didn't need like not premeditated, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you've been in an inter interesting occupation over the last year. Yeah. Every church, we talked about it a minute ago, every church is pivoting and, and, and adjusting and doing their thing. But at the same time, we're all trying to figure out what's next. And you guys do installations into buildings yep. and you can't even travel. And so, no. but aside from just the work um, and, and, and this will be our closing question, but tell me a little bit about like the headspace that you're in navigating the past year, because as a four, you've had more space to think and process and, and live in, in what you're feeling than you'd probably typically would have. Yeah. So tell me about, tell me about what this season looks like. Yeah. I think that's, it's a great question. And there's a lot of different facets to that Brewster. I think there's, um, I agree with you. Every church is trying to ask uh, the question of what's the new normal, what's the new season, what's the new thing that we're doing. And I think there's so many cool things that churches have done to engage in a digital audience in such a unique and interesting way and, and realizing that digital church um, is not just an afterthought any longer. I think it's, hey, we're trying to figure out how do we engage people online, but also, you know, those that are coming through our, our front door. And, and I think that people are working on trying to make that stuff better. But I think that in reality, man, one of the things that I think has really been an exposing kind of moment is that in this pandemic season, there, one of the biggest things that we've seen is mental health issues are going through the roof, right? People are, people are yeah. shining a light on, you know, their own mental health. And there's this craving for connection and for community. And the thing that I've really been saddened by, but yet also challenged by is like, how are we as a church and the body of Christ showing up in this season to really help provide connection and community and conversations around, uh, you know, real life stuff that people are walking through? I think at some point we're going to move past just like that. We, we have to move past just the Sunday experience of being this moment of, you know, rah, rah, let's, you know, I'll get our shot in the arm and go back to, you know, our normal life. And that's great. But we've got to figure out how do we create disciples and create connection points for people so that we can begin to journey life together, whether that's digitally because we're in a pandemic season or whether that's physically um, when we're doing small groups and we're doing, you know, all the, you know, recovery classes and all the different discipleship stuff that you can do throughout the week. Like all of those normal programs that we used to have really didn't work or weren't ready to be implemented in a digital format. And so I think that there is this like ma major chasm between those. And I, I really believe that um, we're on the edge of something really cool when churches start to embrace both instead of just going, well, this is the way we're going to go. This is the thing we're going to do. Um, and it's, uh, you know, being in person and that sort of thing. 
For me, my feelings over the last year or so have been really interesting. I've run the gamut, man. Um, I think we've we've seen the church be absent in some really intense conversations that I would really love to see them dive into a little bit further. I think we've seen a lot of stuff with racial injustice that I, I'm really excited to see how some leaders are, are starting to step up and actually have some real conversations um, around racism and diversity within their own communities. You know, this political season's been really gnarly, and that to me is has been really hard. And uh, I don't want to get into politics, but I'll just say this, like, <laughs> I really do believe that um, we have to really begin to evaluate and understand the power of our platforms and what are we pointing people towards? Um, because truthfully, a lot of times lately has felt like we're going after one agenda or uh, supporting this particular uh, political person or that political person. Um, and in reality, man, I, I think Brian Zahn, um, if you don't know who he is, go check out his books. Um, he wrote a book called Beauty Will Save the World. And for him, he talks about man's quest for power and man's quest for prestige and how we constantly, uh, it's been going on ever since the Roman Catholic times way back in the day. But in reality, we've got to remember to put the cross at the center of the room and to preach Christ and him crucified um, and to gather around the foot of the cross and begin to say, uh, man, this is the only thing that will save the world. The, the cross is the intersection of beauty and pain. Um, which all of us are walking around with beauty and pain in our lives. And ultimately, totally. we have this opportunity uh, to present Jesus to a broken world. And we need to do everything that we can to shout it from the rooftops. So that's that's the only agenda that we should be using our platforms for. And I think if you if you consider that that agenda, it actually hits all of the major issues that we've had that we've gone through in the last year. Yeah. Health, race politics. Yeah. That one theory, that one belief actually solves all of those things. A hundred percent. You know, now it's very complex and I'm not trying to simplify it, simplify extremely complex things. Sure. Uh, I want to be extremely sensitive to that, but, right. but at the end of the day, if you love people, it's hard to hate them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, ha- I have this dream. I, I heard, um, it was always my thought, um, when I was thinking about the church planting days and, even in the, the different churches that I've served in over the years, but there's always been this thing lurking in the back of my mind of, and I can't remember who did this, but I remember hearing about a church consultant who took a whole leadership team of a church um, in his car and then literally just drove around neighborhoods close to their church and would stop people on the side of the road and go, Hey, what do you think about that church that's over here? Hey, do you know where that is? You know, kind of a thing, just start asking some questions. And um, that little story triggered this thought of, my hope is, is that in every single community where all of these churches are planted, if you were to drive around with the leadership team and ask people the question, hey, what do you think about this church? If the answer coming back would be, man, I don't, I don't fully know them, but man, I know they love this community really well. I know that wow. every single time I go there, I feel really welcomed. Every single time I, I see one of their leaders, I'm sparked with joy because they just carry something that's different. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, it goes all the way back to this place. If you read in the message, Acts 2.42, the whole kind of go through the whole thing. At the very end, after the fire of Pentecost comes down, there's this haunting line that I can't get away from. In the message translation, it says, people in general liked what they saw. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those that were being saved. And so for wow. me, I look at that and I go, What is so intriguing about our life together as believers that people in general like what they see? 
and that they would be so intrigued and so compelled by it. They would say, I don't fully get it. I don't fully know who this Jesus is, but what you have, I want. And I want to know more about him. And so I'm just asking the question right now is, am I living a life like that? Would my neighbors, would my friends, would my people around me that, that run in my circles, would they go, dude, I don't know about this whole churchy Jesus thing that Nick's a part of, but man, I dig it. I dig what I see in his life and I want to be a part of that. And I want to know more. If I'm not breaking it down on that simple scale for myself, then that statement is nothing more than a statement of judgment and cynicism and criticalness towards the masses. I have to stop and first be judgmental towards myself and say, Papa, if this isn't in me right now and the way in which I'm living my life, then God help me to change so that I can ultimately be made into your likeness and made into your image so that when people see me, they see the burning fire and love and the passion of you in my eyes when I look back at them. Totally. Man, I love it. And I don't think there's a better spot for us to stop than right there. <laughs> that's, that's the commission, everybody. Go, go, go make it happen. Nick, thanks for your time today. Thank you for the way you serve the church, the way you're always so transparent. Where can people find you? Um, yeah, man, check me out on Instagram. Um, I'm just Nick Kofal, one word, um, at Nick Kofal. And uh, man, or you can go to summitintegrated.com. Um, I, I think you can email me directly off of that website or call our offices and chat if you want to chat. And then I think, uh, the other thing that I would, I would challenge you guys to go do is while you're there at summitintegrated.com, check out summit TV. There is an amazing story, uh, of our friend, Stephen Brewster there that we recorded, um, where we just decided with summit TV, we went around and we're just interviewing leaders all across the body of Christ in all different facets, trying to tell their story and be able to put it out there for different people to learn from, um, and to be encouraged by and to be inspired by. And Stephen's story is incredible. More of my crazy stories on there and a bunch of other really neat people. And we've got a bunch of stuff in the works, but click on the little Summit TV button and, and be encouraged. You can also find us on YouTube as well. Awesome. Thanks for your time today, my man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. I hope you were as inspired by this conversation today as I was. I love hearing Nick's story, and I think it's a story that a lot of us share, or at least share a piece of. I think if you've been in ministry for any amount of time, you've probably experienced hurt. And what I want to encourage you today is that the church doesn't hurt people. People hurt people. And if you've been hurt by the church, or you feel like you've been hurt by the church, I just want you to take a second and maybe pull back a little bit. Maybe you go to 30,000 feet and realize that God's plan for the church was never to hurt you. It was never to harm you. It was only to make your life better. And unfortunately, people sometimes get in the way of what God has intended. So don't give up on the church. Don't give up on your local church. If you're serving on a a church team and you've had a moment that's maybe been uncomfortable, lean into it rather than leaning away from it and know that God's intention is for the church to be the greatest tool to reach people that we've ever experienced. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, guys. It means a lot. I love it when you share the podcast. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment and subscribing, maybe leaving a comment, those really help us get the podcast up the algorithm a little bit. And if there's anything that I can do for you, if you need to talk about maybe some church hurt that you've gone through, or if there's something that we can do to serve your team or to help your team grow in leadership or creativity, don't hesitate to shoot me a text, 615-492-2342. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We'll have another episode coming for you really, really soon.